Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Turfgrass Epistemology. I'm Travis Shaddix. Thank you for joining me. We had no intro today. It's, uh, I was running a little late. My technological incompetence reared its ugly head again. So, um, but I'm pretty sure it's working. <laughs> so, so thank you all for show, showing up and attending today. We've been going over fall fertility of cool season grasses for about two or three weeks now. We've gone over some older uh, papers and we're working our way up to more current papers. And most of the papers we've been talking about talk about um, what happens to the turf um, in terms of response or quality as nitrogen is applied in September, October, November, whatever. And a lot of those papers show some beneficial responses. But there, there are some other concerns that we need to be aware of. So I called um, someone who's much more intelligent and knowledgeable in this area than myself to come on and explain one of his papers to me. And that person, of course, is Mr. Doug Soldat. So how are you, Doug? Doing well, Travis. I'm not sure that I can own up to, to that intro, but um, I'll do my best. Well, well, my, my original intro was probably more embarrassing for you. So I chose to go with this one. <laughs> I, I place you in the top five easily of current active turf grass soil scientists. I know that sort of might not be fair there's, to some yeah, people. Yeah, there's about but... five of us, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's not. Come on. I mean, you're, you're, you're mentor and, Mar you know, Marty and, and Carl, and there's some people that are more emeritus now and sort of phasing into retirement. And, of course, Beth's still around, but she's sort of phased into another area. And and um, so you're definitely, um, in my mind, quite high. If, if you really want to know the true value of yourself, don't ask, what do you think of yourself? Ask. What do your peers think of you? And um, I, I would I would struggle to find one of my peers that would not place you in the very top of the list for turf grass soil scientists. So um, that's my oh, that's very kind. That's my position. I'm sticking to it. So, <laughs> um, so Doug, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you had a little bit of um, I don't know if it's a change, but you had some a little bit of movement in, in your position. And I don't know if you care to talk about that, but just kind of give everybody a bird's eye view of Doug Soldat and what you're doing nowadays. Oh, sure. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a turf grass extension specialist at the university of Wisconsin. Um, 60% extension appointment. I do. Uh, I also teach, I have a, uh, 15% teaching appointment. So I, I, uh, just finished teaching our introductory soil science class. I also, advise the turfgrass management students here at UW uh, Madison and um, and I teach a class in uh, cool season cool season turfgrass fertility um, and water management so um, re I guess within the last year I became the chair of the soil science department here at, at University of Wisconsin um, and so that's been that's been a bit of a learning curve and trying to figure out how I uh, can do my part to help manage the department, but also keep my, keep my program going. Yeah. Um, starting to figure that out over, over the last few months. So it definitely enjoying the, the change, but, um, want to, want to still remain committed to, uh, to turf grass research while I'm doing it. So has, have you, so you're still keeping the production that you've had over the years up and, be, and even moving into a chair, you're, you're trying your best to keep it running with things like graduate yeah, that's the goal. Projects. I mean, uh, 
that's the goal. I got a wonderful staff. I have a research technician who um, has been with me for many years, who's who's outstanding, Nick Barrow, and I have a couple good grad students, which helps. I have a postdoc, so there's a lot of people that uh, help help keep the ship moving. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's the goal is to is to be able to maintain a uh, an active research program while while yeah. also serving as the as the chair. I always get a kick out of reading like older papers where. I'm not saying this is necessarily true, but when I see older papers with like sole authorships and I'm not knocking those people, I'm just saying that when I see sole author papers of robust studies, I'm I'm always thinking to myself, I don't think there's any way they did all that work by themselves, you know? And so it's all, it's always good to see or to know for other people to realize the amount of resources and labor required, you know, to get these projects done, you know, staff, especially if you have a really good, laboratory staff or field staff or, you know, your, your, um, graduate students. I mean, they shoulder a lot of the weight. And, um, so when I see these older papers with sole authorships, I'm thinking, eh, I don't know about that. <laughs> Did you really do all that work by yourself? There's usually a lot of people involved. So, um, so that's what it sounds like you had as well. So that's, that's, um, good to see. So if you heard my preamble, for about two, I'm, I'm trying to get out of cool season fertility, but there's so many papers. It seems like it's endless. And, and I just like, eh, you know, I'll just keep going into cool season fertility and fall fertility until at some point, I imagine I'll reach the end, but I still have eight or nine more papers lined up. And I think I've done, I don't know, six, seven already. Eight, I don't know, but we've covered just to give you a heads up um, of what we've gone over. We've covered like some of the early, early papers, like Carol's 39 paper, Carol's 43 paper, some of the early papers that showed that there might be some issues with fall fertility on cool season grasses in terms of winter hardiness, where they were doing things in the, in the greenhouse or freezing them in the lab and, you know, doing things like that. And we care. And then we covered Powell's paper in 67, both of his um, papers in 67, where he was doing things in the field with bent and fescue as opposed to just strictly greenhouse and art, well, I don't say artificial freezing, but you know, not necessarily in the, in the field. And he did it and he did his in the field and, um, and show, well, there's, I don't not, we're not seeing a lot of the damage that, that have, have previously been reported. And so since then, and it's just my understanding, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but since Powell studies, it seems like fall fertility has really taken on, you know, uh, much more of a, of a role in our management of our fer- fertility. And, um, we haven't quite got to the, um, environmental consequences or other, you know, unintended consequences of these applications. We're talking about the benefits to the turf. And so we're starting to kind of get to the point where it's like, okay, yeah, there's some benefits, but we need to be aware of these other things. And we need to be aware of what is, you know, potentially a more efficient way to apply these nutrients to to cool season turf grasses in the fall. And that's when we come to the Lloyd paper that we're going to discuss today. So with that, the paper that we're going to discuss today is your Hort Science paper in 2011. So this will be open access to everybody if you didn't already know, is that low temperature nitrogen uptake and use of three cool season turf grasses under controlled environments. Now, there's there's about 35 of your papers that I would like to go over with you at some point. <laughs> no, no, so why did I choose this one? It just happened to be the one of the topic that I've been going over. But there's obviously a slew of other papers that um, probably more pe- people are probably more aware of than this paper. But um, I, I think this is a paper that is relevant and pertinent to what we're talking about. 
can you just perhaps give us a, a bird's eye view of what the project, how did it start, is, whether it was a grad student project and, and what sort of questions you were going over and, you know, basically kind of go through the introduction of the paper with us from, from your, you know, recollection of those times when you started the project. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, like, like you talked about in the intro, um, this, a lot of the work gets done by a host of people and in this project, um, was mostly executed by Dan Lloyd, who, uh, is now golf course superintendent at St. Albans, uh, country club in around St. Louis, um, Missouri. And, um, when this was published, he was actually working as a, as a research technician at the university of Missouri. Um, so uh this i like this paper because it was the first project that i started as a as a assistant professor at wisconsin so um when i was hired you know they give you some startup money and they uh and that's some of the money that helped me hire dan who was a uh an undergrad in our program at university of wisconsin at the time and um president of the turf club and ambitious and i said well hey would you be interested in coming to grad school he said yeah absolutely and um you know i've been thinking about this for a while uh, while i was in graduate school is like you always heard you know the best time to fertilize you put out these high rates of soluble fertilizer around the time of halloween and that's just something that you did and it, of course when you're um, taking turf grass management classes you don't really question wh why or where that information came from you just say okay that's the best time you get into grad school and you start to dig in and you start to say oh why or who where did this information come from and so that's what i was doing is i was thinking well what what how can i contribute to the science how can i advance it and i, I was really skeptical or became skeptical of this idea that we should be putting out high levels of soluble nitrogen when the grass stops growing um and that came that idea that skepticism came from my uh uh my master's advisor wayne Cousseau, who developed this or kind of uh, framed turf grass fertility in the concept of nu nutrient demand is that grass growth is what governs the demand for nutrients. And so if your grass is growing really rapidly, it's got a high demand for nutrients. If it's not growing rapidly, then the, then the nutrient demand is low. And so this kind of went flew in the face of that. And so I went back and kind of looked at all the work that had been done and found that there hadn't been a lot of work that was done like this. And, and ironically, when I proposed this project, the Wisconsin Golf Course Superintendents Association initially was like, no, this isn't, this isn't cutting edge enough. We already know that fall is a great time to fertilize. And I said, ah, just give me a chance. I don't think we know as much as we think we do. And so we did this study in a couple different ways. Uh, the paper we'll talk about today was the greenhouse study or the growth chamber study where we controlled all the conditions carefully. And then we also did a very similar version of this in the field um, at University of Minnesota. It was a collaboration with, with Sam Bauer and Brian Horgan, uh, both at University of Minnesota at the time. So we did that in the field in Minnesota and down here in, in Madison. Yeah, I have the Bauer paper, I think. I think I might have went over the Bauer paper. I don't recall. I'll have to go back and look. I have, I have a folder with those things in it. So if we haven't gone over that paper, then I'll be, it's it's on my list somewhere, I'm sure. So this is the greenhouse study. And, and, I've, and I've mentioned in the past um, sort of, I mean, you may have a different opinion, but sort of how 
some turf grass science works where we might start in the lab with a certain project and then move to the greenhouse and then move to the field, primarily due to the expenses and cost of doing large treatment, pro, you know, uh, designs. We can't go to the field with 45 treatments, you know, um, it's just too expensive. It's not, not easy to do that as opposed to doing small, small things. So to go from the greenhouse, like apparently, you know, this is what you did here to, or, um, yes. And, and then go to the field with another project is pretty common. I think we've kind of covered that to some degree. So my, my audience should be fairly familiar with that. Now we've also gone over differences between those two environments. So what we find in the greenhouse is not always what we find in the field. Sometimes it is what we find in the field, but we have to be cautious how we frame those conclusions, you know, based upon the environment that the study was conducted in. So with that, let's talk about the, this, that was the introduction, sort of why you did it, how you did it. Um, I'm going to uh, briefly just mention the objectives of the study at the end of the introduction There's usually the objectives and it's over here. The objective of the study was to evaluate an in uptake potential use and plant met metabolic responses in a climate controlled environment, evaluating the responses of cool season turf grass species to various nitrogen rates and temperature regimes. So that was the hypothesis, the, the objective of the study. You want to just briefly kind of, there's, there, there's two or three, this isn't an extremely long paper. There's two or three tables. There's one really important figure. So we do have some time, but do you want to just briefly kind of explain what you did or, and, and how you did it and, or has it been too, too many years or you want me to go through it? Yeah, it's been a few years now, but I, I think, <laughs> um, I think I can do a pretty good job of this. So okay. we've been saying greenhouse, but these were actually growth chambers, which are just okay. like, uh, greenhouses on steroids. They actually don't have, they don't, they don't allow any natural light in, um, through glass panels. It's, a, it's like a completely sealed chamber okay. with, um, very intense lights, very, uh, high climate control. So temperature photo period. I mean, it's just like you control everything. And, and like you said, we do, we do things in the field. We do things in greenhouses. We do things in growth chambers for different reasons. And, Part of the, you know, part of the reason we wanted to be in the growth chamber for this is that we're looking at the impact of temperature on nitrogen uptake. And, you know, a fall can be really weird. You can have like really weird cold fronts and, and heat stretches. And so then if you're trying to say, well, on average, you know, what is fall like? What is October 15th like in Madison on average? Mm -hmm. We kind of know what that is like right? You probably yeah. need a light jacket. You know, temperatures are probably in the fifties, but any given fall, it could be 85 degrees or it could snow yeah. uh, on October 15th. So this, these temperatures that we used in the growth chamber were the 30 year averages for, okay. the, for the photo period, of course, which doesn't change. Um, but, but for the temperature, uh, importantly. So we took three grasses, the most common grasses in Wisconsin, Kentucky bluegrass. We use midnight, which is a, um, turf grass, uh, elite variety, um, pencross creeping bent grass, and then, uh, true putt, um, annual bluegrass, which is mm -hmm. a commercially available, uh, cultivar. Uh, we grew them in, into these uh, controlled conditions. Um, to, at, at first, we grew them all under like optimal conditions in an actual greenhouse just to get them established. Uh, and we grew them in these um, four-inch PVC 
um, pods that were that were filled with USGA root zone mix. Okay. Uh, again, just to minimize variation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then, you know, after after they were sort of grown in, we uh, would move them into these growth chambers where we would control the temperatures. And it was either mid-September, mid-October, or mid-November averages. Yeah. Um, and then after about a week or so, we'd go in there and fertilize them with uh, 15N labeled nitrogen. And that's important because then when we harvest the grass or the roots, or the shoots or whatever, we can look specifically for the 15N label, which tells us that that nitrogen came from the fertilizer. It didn't come from the soil, didn't come from anywhere else. It's just if, if, if it was 15N in the leaf, that 15N came from the fertilizer that we added. Because normally yeah. um, nitrogen has an atomic mass of 14. So mm-hmm. this has got an extra neutron in it. It's heavier. And we got fancy equipment that can that can trace it. Um, yeah, so then we use three different fertilization rates. So uh, basically uh, a half a pound of nitrogen, a pound, and then we went to the extreme rate of two pounds. So that was kind of our, our range. And a lot of times that's how you'll do an experimental design is you want to bracket what's possible. And um, is it possible that somebody puts two pounds of soluble nitrogen out? Probably not. I mean, sure, maybe by accident or an overlap strip, but yeah. you know, in my mind, the, the real range here is zero. Some people don't fertilize at all in the late fall, and some people might put up to a pound. But we threw that, that two pounds in there just to be make sure we're covering our bases. Yeah, I've, ma- I've mentioned that to the audience before about like, don't do what Pal did. I mean, he put out 10 pounds, you know, two pounds every month. You know, but we do those things. So that we know we, we have to have a, a range of nitrogen rates such that more than likely the most efficient rate is from the low to the high that we've chosen. Right. So we, we, we're, to some degree we're well with nitrogen, it's a little different, but we're some, to some degree, we're kind of making our best estimate guess as to what the range probably will be. And then we have to have a couple points above that, a couple points below that. And so when you see these high rates, I've, I've been, I've tried to do my due diligence to let people know that, yeah, the rate was in here, two pounds. I think, I think it was, it wasn't Powell, it was somebody else. I can't remember who it was. I don't know if it was Carol or somebody else. They were, you know, doing these eight, 10, 12 pound nitrogen rates. And I say, don't, don't do that. <laughs> okay. Just because they yeah. did it and they show a response doesn't mean you're supposed to do it. The response they're looking for is the acceptable response from the lowest end rate. And it wasn't the high rate. It was usually, it's usually much, much lower than the high rate that they've chosen. So there, there is a rationale behind these very high rates in research, but it's research. It's not what you would recommend necessarily. Yeah. But also, so that's, that's part of justification for why we did this is because if you look at the Powell paper, they show you get like enhanced root growth at Mm. high rates of fall fertilization but those high rates like you said are like four six eight pounds is when they start to see those root differences and it's like if you look down at the at the at the rates that folks in wisconsin are using in modern times you don't see a root growth effect and so what we're saying is like sometimes you know science gets translated and, and and there's information lost in the translation and I think that's a really good example of something being lost in the translation. So yeah. it could happen for this paper. There, we could somebody could focus on something that we saw in the high rate and use that for a justification. When if you're not applying that high rate, it's just not relevant to you. 
So, you know, yeah. three out of the four treat nitrogen rates that we used in this study, I think are relevant. And that one high rate is probably of scientific interest, but not of practical interest. Yeah, you said that very well. Yeah, it, it, and that's sort of one of the hopes, the objectives of this whole channel is to, you know, have a conversation about this so that it's not misinterpreted perhaps as frequently as it has been in the past. A lot of what I'll publish I'll see it somewhere and I'm like, oh, that's great. You know, you guys, you know, you guys picked it up and then I'll see it somewhere else. I'm like, why are you guys doing that? Well, you published it. I'm like, well, well, hold on. You, you misunderstood. <laughs> you know, that's not what, that's what was in there, but it, they, they interpreted it beyond the boundaries of what I did. And, and, and it's not exactly what was the, what wasn't the intent. So hopefully we're here, we're here to clear some of this, this up. If we hopefully, you know, it's just less misinformation or less misinterpretation, I should say, of some of the, some of the numbers and some of the results. So that's basically what you did. And then, um, then you took the, I believe it was this paper, you took the columns and you split them in half, right? And you took, you harvested all the plant tissue above the soil, basically, and all the tissue below the soil. And that's how you partitioned it. Right. Is that the case? That, that is and, right. Yep. So, and then we measured you, you guys measured the nitrogen that was in the top portion of the plant and the, uh, I think it's in here somewhere. And then the measure, Oh, here it is. Uh, yeah. Verter, verdure from each column was removed at the soil surface. And then basically what happens if I, if I understand correctly, you split the column with a saw or something and you took half, half of it and you measured the, the verdure and the roots from that half. And then the other half, what did you do with the other half? I forgot. Well, I think, I think we measured the entire verdure. So we just like okay, cut off the tops and soil then analysis. we split okay. the soil in half because oh, okay. half, like we needed to get the roots out of it. Yeah, so we okay. had to have some way because there, you can't do both. Like if you're to analyze the soil, you, you can't clean the roots out because then that yeah. soil gets washed away. So you basically split them in half, mm -hmm. half, one half was used to get the root mass. And then we doubled that. And then the other half was used for standard soil analyses. Yeah. So one point in here I wanted to make sure that I asked you about is, um, and so that the audience understands why you did this, is that you, you the plant, the, the, the columns were maintained, they're managed, they were cut, and they, everything looks fine. They moved them to a growth chamber. And when you ended up applying the nitrogen, it says right here, all plants were cut at 13 millimeters and allowed to grow unclipped until harvested. So then uh, plants were watered three times weekly, 80% of the pot holding capacity to prevent more moisture. Plants were destructively harvested 10 days after the N15 treatment. So you applied the treat the N15 in a solution, yeah, a liquid solution right here. And then you didn't cut anything. You didn't remove any tissue or any, any turf grass. I'm saying this, it's really more of a question. You didn't remove any turf grass. You waited for 10 days for the turf grass to assimilate or metabolize any of the nitrogen that was applied. And then you basically ended the study, cut them in half, removed the tissue and determined the nitrogen uptake after 10 days. Is that, that's the case? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Is there a reason why 10 days was chosen rather than say uh, a we're year? We're kind of thinking like, well, it's not going to be mid September for very long. You okay. know? So at some point, and these, so these growth chambers aren't like moving they're not getting colder mm -hmm. as the year goes on so it's just like a snapshot in time okay. so we're like if if the grass is growing in these mid-september which is basically optimum for cool season grass growth like there's not a better time on earth 
in Madison in, in mid-September for growing grass. That's the optimum time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not going to be optimum forever. It would be optimum for 10 days? Yeah, probably. Yeah. So we wanted to make sure that the nitrogen uptake and metabolite, um, metabolization was representative of that temperature okay. and that could occur, right? Okay. So it's just like the, that snapshot. Unless you have something to go over on the NOVA table, I'm going to skip it because I'm trying to keep things more like layman sort of ter- terminology. <laughs> but if you want to yeah. go over the ANOVA, then feel free. I no, don't know. with me. Okay. I was going to say it might, we might lose some people on the ANOVA table, but, um, but it's here if anybody wants to watch. Lose me. Wants to- <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not claiming I would understand it myself, but oh, so let's go to the results. So the results, you have the results broken out, essentially the verdure, what, what was taken up in the above soil, it's called everything above the soil, what was taken up in everything below the soil. And then, and you have, well, I should say that you have a graph for that, but you also have the growth rate or the amount of material that was in the verdure and the roots as well. Now, the one thing I wanted, I can't zoom in on this table, so I'm not sure if you can see it on your screen, Doug, or not, but I ha- it took me a little while, and this, I'm just just saying my, this is, I'm pleading ignorance on this. It took me a little while to figure out what exactly was going on in statistics in this table because I hadn't seen statistics like this. And so I want to ask you a question to make sure that I'm understanding it correctly. Normally, when we see tables like this, we're either running differences vertically or horizontally through a column or through a row. But I think this is the case within all of this run one, the A is being compared to all the other numbers, regardless of whether what row or column it's in. Is that true? Yeah, that is right. And you're right. Usually we do them within columns, but we were actually that, I mean, you can run stats in a bunch of different ways and display them different ways. But okay. in this case, you're right. The within runs, all those letters are relevant. Okay. So the zero nitrogen in September is being compared to all other nitrogens in all other months. Right. And so what, what the verter bio, the biomass above ground, I don't, there really wasn't a whole lot that happened difference wise when you get, when you get to October and November, all of them were basically the same, regardless of the nitrogen rate that was applied. The one that stood out really from the rest was the two pound application in September resulted in greater biomass verdure uh, than any other nitrogen rate applied at any other month in both runs. Is am I reading that correctly? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, that basically just says like turf grass, um, and these are all the grasses combined together are nitrogen pigs. Mm-hmm. And if you give, if you give gr- lots of nitrogen to, to grasses in perfect growing conditions, they're going to use it. And that, and that's really what we're seeing. So you definitely, if you look across the, you just look at the run one, run two, September, mm-hmm. uh, you just kind of go left to right. You see yeah. that basically the more nitrogen you put down, the more biomass you get yeah. and it doesn't stop. You go up to two pounds, you're going to grow way more, you know, it's, so the, the nitrogen utilization is very high so, in, in these grasses. Yeah. So on, and we don't have quality in this paper and that's fine. We have, we have biomass and uptake, but, but I'm glad you've worded it the way you worded it. Cause I want to make sure that we're, we're clear to the audience and I want to make sure I'm not misrepresenting what, uh, what you found. When then, when zero all the way up to two pounds of nitrogen was applied in September, we see a consistent increase from zero in to a quarter pound to half or, or half a pound to one pound to two pounds. We see the increase from in growth. But when we get to October and November, those don't occur. It stops. It, it stops. Right. 
So, and I know there's some literature here and there that talks about, well, we're going to build carbohydrate reserves. And I don't think there's a, there, that grounds not, that ice isn't very thick to stand on, I don't think. But there's some little bit here and there. You'll see some hints of underground roots and some continued growth in the absence of a tremendous amount of photosynthesis. You'll see a little bit. Every now and then you'll find a paper. But for the most part, and we're going to talk about another paper on Wednesday that Eric did over in Washington that that has quality in it. And his results were the same, pretty much the same as yours. Where, am I correct in saying applications of nitrogen in the fall if they're secluded to september will result more than likely in a turf grass response as opposed to october november where in the fall where the the nitrogen application in october november in that fall isn't isn't going to really give you anywhere near the magnitude of response because it's just simply getting colder and the light's getting lower is that fair to say it's true if you if you added the word growth response <clears throat> because we did and we didn't I don't think we measured it in this study but in the field when we basically duplicated this we see color responses in October yes. but not growth responses. Oh yes. And in November we see a little bit of color and no growth. So there's a lag period where color responses will be active but growth responses won't. And that is so consistent. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to over speak, but yeah, that's consistent. Even I think it was Powell's paper. I get, I have to go back and look, but there's there are several papers that show a color increase, but with without a growth increase from these applications in October, and November. So yeah, and that's the whole foundation for why fall nitrogen seems like a great idea is that if you're where is that color coming from? It's coming from more chlorophyll. And what does that mean? It means you have more photosynthesis, but you're not putting it into your shoots. So where do you put it? Maybe you put it into your roots. Maybe you store it away. Um, mm -hmm. And so that's the whole, uh, you know, theoretical idea behind fertilizing in October and November when you're not going to get a growth response, but you may get a color response. So that's, okay, well, that's really what we're testing here. Okay. So on that note, <laughs> it's a great, it's a, you frame things more succinctly than I do. Maybe I should take a lesson and learn, learn from that. But so, so, uh, I'm going to skip over table four, but if you want to talk about it, let, let me, this has to do with simply species differences and that's fine. But I want to talk about what you just mentioned is the root biomass effect. So the idea is, is that the nitrogen being applied in the fall might not result in a growth response after September, but it's likely to result in a color response, meaning there's photosynthesis occurring or likely occurring where is that energy going as you mentioned it could be going to the roots but did you find that is the question did you find an yeah, increase in root really, biomass it doesn't look like it so roots are notoriously difficult to study and and i try to avoid doing root work whenever whenever possible <laughs> because they're you need huge differences in root mass to, to start to see differences. Now, here's the problem. We only had 10 days of growth. How, mu how yeah. much can root True. mass really change in 10 days? It's not True. like, you know, there's actually there's resistance to root growth because you have soil in the way. So that's the caveat mm -hmm. here is that this is root biomass. Biomass probably wouldn't change much in, in 10 days. Um, and mm -hmm. no, we don't. If you look across those statistics, we're not seeing an increase in in root growth as uh, as the rates go up. If anything, where we do see statistical differences, it's sometimes in the opposite direction. We see less roots in run one. Run two, we don't see anything yeah. at all. So yeah. didn't yeah, I find it's 10 days, that. you're right. Yeah. yeah, 
Yeah. Now I'll say again, we're not so, talking about the other work, but in the field, we saw we do get increases in root growth, um, but it's only based on temperature, so not not related mm. to the nitrogen rate. So, as the let me, season, let me gets make sure I make sure increases in biomass. I want to want to make sure I'm not missing that. What, what was the what, what was the year of that paper? The the field study. I, want, I may have already covered it. Do you know, oh, remember boy. the year of the field study paper? <laughs> Who was the main author? Here, Who was right? the first author? I think that I think that was in was the Bauer? in the Bauer work. Yeah. Yeah, I think I covered it, but I'll go back and check, make sure I'm not missing it. I'm, I know I covered a. Let me actually let me just let me look. I have a, I have a folder of all the ones I've already done. No, oh no, 2012 agronomic and physiological response. Oh well, that's the that's the review. There's paper. a review paper. Yeah. This is the review paper, right? Yeah, yep. that's the review paper. So that's not the one you're talking about. You're talking about a different one. Yeah, the field. And it, honestly, I don't, I'm not even sure. I'll look it up. I'll where it's up. published. If it's published, it's just in the thesis. So well, the, on the, uh, yeah, on that note, we're talking about, we're going to, we're about to talk about percent uptake. And I, I thought either at an ASA meeting or somewhere, I don't know if it was in some periodical, but I thought you actually, because we're going to look at nitrogen uptake just in the fall here, but I thought you did nitrogen uptake too from those applications later in the spring. Am I? In the field. In the field. Okay. So I'm getting them, yeah. I'm getting them confused. The two studies confused. Okay. 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 So let's continue. Basically the, the, the growth rate of the above ground tissue, um, didn't change at one in October, the October, November, uh, temperature and light regimes. It, it did increase the nitrogen did increase it when it was applied under the September conditions. I guess that's the fair, fair way to say it. The root growth didn't change much in the, at all in run two under any of the nitrogen rates or the monthly uh, conditions. And in the first run, there was probably an, I guess there was an increase uh, later in the, there's a little bit of difference. Oh, no, there's not one there. There's a little bit of difference over here from the one and two pound rates applied in November compared to the one and two pounds rate applied in September. So there's a little bit going on there, but we didn't see it wasn't consistent across runs. So that's the growth. Okay. Um, I'm going to skip ahead to this table, this graph, because really this graph tells everything that we need to know about the uptake of the nitrogen itself, the N15 labeled uptake, right? Do you, I don't, and I don't mean to skip over anything that you want to cover if I'm missing something, Doug, but let me, you know, just tell me to go backwards. But, um, this is the N15 uptake from the as the total and in the roots, you want to kind of go over this for us? What happened? Yeah, absolutely. So this, and I agree with you, Travis, this is where the, you know, the majority of the paper, if I could explain the paper in one figure, this would be it. So this is the special labeled nitrogen. So we know, you know, if we put down, a, we have put down a hundred percent of the stuff and then we're saying how much of it we recovered um, in the roots and in the shoots. So the, what's not let we didn't leach anything out so the where's the rest of it the rest of it's in the soil and what so we watered these plants so that no drainage came out the bottom so all the nitrogen is in those columns that i mean that again another reason to do a study like this is you can be very uh, you can control it so in 10 days that nitrogen had a chance to get into the shoot get into the root obviously all got into the roots that's where it got taken up and then it got reallocated to different parts of the plant or it can just sit in the soil, stay in the soil. So that's May I interject good, just you know, a second, Doug? Yeah. Mm -hmm. May I interject just one second? So um, yeah. go, let's go back to the material. So you apply this as a liquid, and then you, there's a couple different ways to do that. 
When it was applied as a liquid, was it immediately watered into the soil or was allowed to remain on the leaf? It was applied in a in a liquid volume, like it wasn't sprayed, like with a high pressure. It wasn't CO2. sprayed, so it was, so it was like, it was like maybe a little injector thing or something was, you put on the so, on the soil or the leaf. Okay. Yeah, it was dissolved in an amount of water. I don't remember if the um, they have those little. It, I forget what it was. They have those little ten mill ten milliliter aliquot pipette or things that you some sometimes I've used. I don't know if, you, but you're avo you're avoiding the leaf yeah, surface we watered itself. It and, in, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We applied it okay. in high level of water volume so that okay. it was in the root zone. Okay, and causing drainage. So and the, the N15. Okay, the N15 source was what was the N source? I forgot. Did I mention that? At ammonium the beginning? sulfate. Ammonium sulfate. Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to to divert your 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 no, direction. No, go good. go ahead. Please continue. Ammonium yeah, so sulfate then, applied to the soil. Right. So then you're now ten days later. We harvest the roots. We harvest the shoots, and we and we throw you know we process the samples and get them analyzed for 15N. Um, and so the black bars are what the nitrogen that we found in the roots and let's just start there. And this mm -hmm. was, again, root work is frustrating and we actually see the exact opposite trend, which is why we do these, uh, growth chamber, um, and greenhouse experiments, the, um, crop science society of America rec recommends doing in at, at least two runs, preferably more. And this is a good example of why you do that. You see that we see an increase in root recovery as temperatures cool for run one. And then run two, we saw a decrease in, in recovery as the temperature decreased. So those are literally showing us the opposite. Now the September, October recoveries look about the same, but there's huge differences in November. Nitrogen recovery, which you know makes me want to do this again. And of course, we would have done it again if we knew this was going to be the result. We would have sure. loved to have a run three and four. Yeah. And so, to any um, budding researchers out there, this is a, a part of the paper where we've left questions unanswered. Yeah. But in general, what you're seeing is that of the nitrogen we applied, not much of it gets into the roots, uh, with the exception of the November in run one, which is kind of canceled out by what we found in November run two. Um, but generally about 20% or less, 10 to 20%. And when you look at the, the white bars now, the portion that's white is basically the nitrogen that's in the verdure, including the clippings. So anything that's not a root, uh, you can see contains the majority of nitrogen. And the main finding there is as you drop in temperature, you decrease the total recovery. So more is left hanging around in the soil. And if we just focus on the uh, November, um, let's look at the middle. The middle is the one pound per thousand application rate. Mm -hmm. You can see that in, in the first run, you're seeing a pretty substantial decrease in nitrogen recovery uh, in October and November, which appear to be equal. And then when you move to uh, run two, you're kind of seeing September and October, you actually kind of see almost a linear trend and decrease, mm -hmm. but September and October are closer. And then you get a bigger drop off in yeah. November, like a, a huge drop off, like, you know, less than half of the amount of nitrogen we were able to recover. So it's definitely showing us that nitrogen uptake is temperature dependent and sensitive to temperature. And the colder it gets, the, the lower the capacity for nitrogen uptake you'll have. And so that, and at these rates, we get the highest recovery associated with the lowest nitrogen application rates. Um, and so, you know, kind of what this is leading us to is like, should we be applying lower levels of nitrogen as the temperature cools instead of 
uh, a pound of soluble nitrogen? Should these things be half a pound or a quarter pound as the temperature cools? Because the goal is to get the nitrogen into the plant um, from my perspective. Yeah, I, I use that analogy or use that example quite a bit where um, our goal is to get it into the plant. Our goal is to produce um, a product that our clients or if you're a homeowner, a homeowner is acceptable. It's, it's acceptable. But, you know, there's two sides of the coin. There's the environmental side and the capitalist side and the business side. And in, in both in this case, what whichever side you're on, or maybe you're in both, it doesn't do you any good to apply nitrogen at a time where there's a very good likelihood that limited amounts of the nitrogen will actually get into the plant either environmentally due to the potential risk of offsite movement or economically you're buying a product and putting it out and it's not actually being utilized by the plant so i, I try to make that clear as often as i can i don't i don't care if you're a hardcore capitalist and the environment can you know go wherever or you're an environmental tree hugger and you don't care about on both sides of the aisle here it's critical to understand that the application of nitrogen is intended to get into the plant and you're not achieving your goal on either side of the aisle if it's if if these um, rates are going down so on that note doug and unless you have a point of difference with what i said i mean you know should we how should we look at these data knowing that the nitrogen uptake is declining as the months get colder how should we use these data and for let's let's take a turf grass uh, let's take a, a lawn care operator who's applying fertilizer on an eight-week cycle in wisconsin or where where was this missouri or in wisconsin so they're applying fertilizer on say an eight-week cycle how do they use these data to better to be better applicators to make to be more efficient with their product yeah so this is i mean this is something that a direct outcome from this study is that i think um lawn care providers that follow turf grass research and attend field days and, and winter conferences have absolutely reduced the amount of soluble nitrogen in their last applications because uh, for for the reasons you mentioned number they pay money for that nitrogen and the and the goal of that is to get the client to feel like they're getting something for what they're paying for. And what I'm saying is you can probably get the same visual response at a much lower rate because as you increase your rate in those cooler temperatures, it's not in the plant. And so if it's not in the plant, it's not going to show up as green. Uh, you can get that green color with lower rates. And so, you know, if the standard before we did this work was a pound in late fall around the time of Halloween, that was actually literally one of UW uw madison's um, recommendations to apply a pound of nitrogen around halloween hmm. now people are applying if they're applying anything around halloween it's a half pound it's a quarter pound and if they're applying a pound it's going to be uh near the first of october when this plant still has decent decent uptake okay. let me yeah, okay let me understand what, what you just said what you just said i, I don't want to i don't want to i want to make sure i understood you correctly the UW-Madison recommendations at one point were to apply one pound around the middle of October or around Halloween, and at some point in the past, they were that, and now they've been adjusted based upon either this work or other work that you've done or Wayne did or whoever. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So that that was the, if you go to, you know, download the lawn fertilization recommendations, Yeah. Um, the they used to be apply 
one of the fertilizer about a pound per thousand around Halloween. Okay. Um, and now it, and now it, it, they're, they're modified and they don't, mm. that recommendation is not there. They're a little bit more nuanced. There's some more options, but basically the last recommended fertilization is at the beginning of October. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. I mean, that's, that's science being applied right there. And the reality is, I mean, how, how many lawn care operators have raised cane because the turf isn't looking good because they've reduced the rate, you know, in October. They, had, they could apply one pound. Now they can only apply whatever, half a pound or quarter pound. You know, I, I doubt right. there's many people that are actually observing a significant reduction, if anything, if any reduction at all. In terms no, of the no. And actually lawn care operators are very receptive to this because they're not sure that that client's going to be a customer of theirs in the spring. So let's say, yeah, you know, you okay, go. this nitrogen is just going to hang around the soil. This is an argument I've heard mm. uh, against the, against, you know, what I'm recommending here is I say, well, the nitrogen's not, it's just going to hang around in the soil. It's not going to go anywhere. And it's just mm -hmm. going to help the lawn get a head start the next spring. Mm -hmm. Well, that may be true, but for lawn care customers, only a certain amount of them are going to renew. So why would you be fertilizing, you know, for something that's going to happen next year to someone you're not sure is going to be your customer. So let's focus on being efficient with the nitrogen that we're going to get into the plant this season yep. while they're your customer. Well, the extreme capitalist position on that would be saw production. I mean, well, you know, you can talk saw production all day long, but at the end of the day, they're going to harvest that and they're going to offsite it and plant it somewhere else. So why would a sod produce, producer put down a pound, pound and a half of soluble nitrogen a week before they harvest it? It's the same sort of concept as what you're talking about. You know, you know that that's going to be harvested and taken away. You don't need to necessarily apply it because you're not going to get the benefit out of that application from like I said, an extreme situation where you know that that's going to be harvested. Well, in this case, we didn't know that that nitrogen wasn't really going to be used. You know, we, we don't know whether our customers are actually going to stay with us all the way through the winter and then re-up re in whatever, March or April. We don't know that. Well, if I'm not going to see any major deleterious effects from reducing the nitrogen, why not? I guess is kind of the, is that fair to say? Let's reduce yeah, absolutely. it. absolutely. I would also, I mean, and we're going to get into the environmental consequences at some point if I ever get through these papers, but I mean, just because it's sitting there, we don't know if it's going to stay there. And maybe in Wisconsin soils, I don't know the soils in Wisconsin, maybe it will stay there. But the risk is the risk of waiting and applying the nitrogen, say in March or April, whenever you would normally apply your spring fertilizer, instead of just doing it in the fall. You have zero risk of environmental impairment if you wait till the spring versus having that nitrogen in the soil the entire time during the winter. Who knows what could happen, right? It could thaw, it could rain, it could wash. Who knows what could happen in terms of the environmental fate of that nitrogen. Um, but when you don't apply it, you don't have any risk. <laughs> so just wait. And you, I, 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 there's papers I'm going to go over where it shows that the spring application of that nitrogen is going to result in a very similar effect as the spring response to the fall nitrogen if you just wait and apply it in the spring. So whether or not that fits with their logistical schedules and all that stuff is another you know another issue with every operator as it comes to a different schedule. But um, I just I, it's difficult for me to think of a good reason to put it down in late fall or winter, thinking well I'm going to bank that and I'm going to see the response in the spring versus just applying it in the spring. I mean. Why not just wait and put it in the spring? Is there an argument against that? Not in my mind. I think that's that's exactly <laughs> it. Is there in, in agriculture? Uh, you can imagine that uh, 
access to the field could be limited in the spring. It's a situation that just doesn't really happen in turf. Sure. And so sure. apply the nitrogen when you need it. We have lots of opportunities to get out there and every year's a little bit different. So I don't like making applications six months from three months from when I think I might need the nitrogen. And I'll give you a little spoiler in the field study. We did track the recovery and your highest potential for uptake is on day one. And every day that goes by, you get less and less of that nitrogen. And that holds true over the winter. So it's not like it's just locked away in a safe waiting to be taken up in April. Mm -hmm. It's actually, sure, some is taken up in April. It's a tiny, tiny amount. And um, the vast majority of that nitrogen that we apply in November never gets recovered. I think I think our field results were 10% or something of nitrogen we applied okay. was ever found in the plant. So again, much lower than what we're seeing here. We're seeing pretty good recovery after 10 days under like yeah. absolutely idealized conditions. Yeah. When we do it in the field, we see the same trends, but we see much lower recoveries even in the September, uh, even in the September rates. Well, I will pull that paper and see, uh, see what I, I, I don't have it on my list to, to, to talk about. So I will, I'll pull it and put it on the list for sure. Let's wrap this whole thing up with your conclusions. And, um, as I've said before, these aren't quite as strong as some other authors. This is a little bit more like what I would probably write. <laughs> okay. But I like conclusions that take the science, you know, kind of sum it up in a layman's sort of practical use, um, and that's what there's basically what you did here. Let me just read it. And then if you have anything you want to add to it, um, feel free to stop me. The conclusions are our results suggest that some of the widely held views on the importance of fall fertilization may not be as well understood as thought. The inuptake capacity of creeping bent grass, annual bluegrass and Kentucky bluegrass declines substantially as temperatures decrease. Although inuptake potential appears to be relatively high near the time after shoot growth stops. Waiting after this period greatly reduces in uptake potential because of the increased risk of in loss during the fall in humid temper temperate climates resulting from seasonal high rates of precipitation and low rates of ET agronomic recommendations for late fall fertilization need to be reevaluated. So in short, you're saying what we've talked about is that you're not really, I mean, there's not a whole lot of evidence really to, to, apply these high soluble rates late in the fall, early in the winter, you know, for various reasons and that, and that our previous, you know, recommendations probably weren't as sound as we thought. And we need to make changes to them. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and it, it is nuanced, right? We did see that when grass isn't growing, when you don't get a growth response in mid October, you do get good nitrogen uptake. Right. Yeah. And so there does appear to be sign up maybe a special window where um, you can do some some positive things with your fertility. So we're, we're absolutely not saying don't fertilize late in the season. We're saying don't put down a pound of fertilizer long after the grass has stopped growing. Exactly. Right. Which I think yeah. most people would say, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, but like I said before, that was literally our recommendation before this paper was made. <laughs> we did some work yeah. uh, in the field, which I think the last sentence of this paper says additional field re research is required. Yeah. Boy, I wish more people would do more field work uh, because it, there's a lot there's a lot to be done out there. There's a lot of different environments. There's different types of fertilizer. This is just soluble fertilizer, slow release out there. I mean, you could you could spend half a career just working on cool cool temperature uptake of, of nitrogen from a variety of different angles. 
Yeah, some of the work out of Virginia and Rhode Island, Connecticut area that show you know, applications in the late fall might uh, have a growth response as well as a color response. But as you move into Wisconsin and into the more, you know, into Iowa and Wisconsin where it's much colder, those same months, you see a color response, but not a growth response. And then you move over into Washington, you see something, you know, more similar to, you know, the Carolinas and, and, uh, that, so it, it does vary greatly based upon where the study is being conducted and the turf grasses and the nitrogen. I know we didn't go in, you didn't go in this paper over nitrogen sources per se. Um, but you've mentioned several times, you know, don't apply soluble high rates of soluble nitrogen late in the fall. There's other studies that um, measured the differences between soluble and slow release nitrogen sources. And, and we'll go into that at, at some point. I don't know if you've ever published anything on different nitrogen sources, slow and soluble in the fall or not. But generally, we recommend, when I say we, I mean, the scientific community has recommendations to lean more heavily on the soluble end sources in the fall because we just don't see the responses that you're you need from these slow release end sources and my guest on wednesday his paper shows that very clearly that the even ibdu you know didn't didn't really give us the response that we were looking for compared to ammonium sulfate so um anyway doug i appreciate you coming on this you know, it's, I'm glad that you found this paper one of the more uh, important papers for you, and, and that you 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 know you're happy to kind of go over this paper. I will say that um, you have many many more papers that are, are far more um, I think uh, recognized, I suppose, by the by people in our industry. And at some point, I hope you have the time to go over. I know you you know with your new position, you may, you have less and less time each day, but. Um, at some point I'm going to get into soil testing and, um, I think that's, you know, certainly an area where you specialize in as well. So thank you for yeah, coming. I'd be on. happy to do that, Travis. Thanks for having me. Well, like I said, I hope this information, people find it useful and the potential complexities of the scientific language, hopefully we do our best to communicate it in a more easily understood way that you can go to your shop or go home and, and apply it. The take home message is probably don't need to apply a whole lot of soluble in once the grass kind of shuts down and stops growing. You might get a little color response, but you can get that from very low rates or much lower rates than, than uh, what you might anticipate. But in September, October, the earlier times when the grass is still growing, you know, you're probably fine. Fair enough. Absolutely. Okay, guys, tomorrow's at 10 a.m. Wednesday is at uh, 10 a.m. I have, have another author coming on on Wednesday to talk about his paper he did in Washington. And then uh, Thursday. So basically the rest of this week is at 10 a.m., I believe. So I really appreciate everybody um, hanging out and, and watching the conversation. Doug, just hang on just a second. I'm going to close everything out and I'll come back. But thank you all for coming. We'll see you tomorrow morning. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Doug.